Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome, Welcome back. I have to say who's going to do what. And I don't have my headphones on, so now I got to do that. Sorry, everyone. I, we're just getting it together. I can't. It's like been so busy with all the different IEP meetings. Like, obviously, some people started in August. So we had a lot of August IEP meetings into like early September. But now with the people that start in September, it's like we're having those you know, end of September IEP meetings and then full on October IEP meetings. And then the people that started in August are either having their annuals in November or everybody's freaking out and having their 30 day IEP meetings from, you know, when an incident happened in November and December. And that is 2022. Yeah. Yeah. We're here. We're here. We're here. Exactly. We showed up. (laughs) I feel like we're in this like new territory of the way people perceive like public schools, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. we are seeing like before everyone like blindly trusted the public schools. And then like people started questioning, people started going to private schools, but like COVID really changed the tune of like people being like, because parents got to see behind the curtain, right? Like really see how their child was learning or not learning. And I think that when your kid is a baby and if you're able to spend time with them, you know, before you go back to work, you kind of figure out how they learn, right? Like, are they visual? Are they, And most children and anyone, I would say, is a learner in a lot of different ways, right? There's not just one way. Of course, there's all those quizzes. I don't know. We've talked about that. Like, remember in law school, they like made you take some type of quiz. Like, how, what is your learning style? Or did you not do that? That was just my class. No, yeah, that was just you. My class didn't do that. Yeah, and it was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm like all of these, right? So it's like, I'm visual. I I need to write. I repetition, you know? And it's just like, that's helpful to a certain extent. But most children distance learning just was not it, right? There is something to being in person and there is something to those teachers that take it beyond just reading and writing and arithmetic of like actually using like multi-sensory objects and visuals and videos to like get children to learn. And when parents were at home, seeing how their child was trying to get information, it was just a cluster. (laughs) It was was. not good. It was. And so like on one hand, a lot of people are in the space of, I don't know that I trust the public school anymore. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, there are people realizing my kid learns differently than I thought in some ways, a bad way. And in some ways, a good way, right? We, we did have some few kids that like thrived Mm -hmm. that like have social anxiety that have these external factors that make school challenging and the distance learning model was right up their alley, right? For whatever reason. But that was few and far between for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So in that respect, we are seeing a lot more families going to private schools. And we did get, you know, a listener questioning asking about the process of going to private schools. Yes. If your child qualifies for an IEP, there is a process to go to a private school. And so we're going to kind of break it down first. 
the difference between private schools and non-public schools. Mm-hmm. And then we'll kind of talk through this process of like what the legal requirements are for your kid to go to a private school and get reimbursed or have the district pay. And then like, what do you have to do? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the first thing is you hear us say non-public school, MPS, and it really is a private school, right? We're just designating a difference because non-public schools are certified under the California Department of Education. They have the same types of curriculum, but more importantly, you got to follow the money. These private schools, quote unquote, are receiving federal funding to provide special education placement and services. And so in order to kind of delineate whether it is a true private school, maybe a religious private school, maybe just be a private school, right? From those schools that were receiving federal funding, we have the name non-public school. So when you're talking to a school district, that's really important because if you're saying private school, I could very easily see a district say, well, you could go and enroll your kid in a private school if you want. You know, we don't have to do anything, right? (laughs) But when you are saying, I believe that my child needs a more restrictive environment, a non-public school, that kind of, you know, you're using the, the terminology that they should understand. Now, when we're looking at a spectrum, right, and we have general education classroom, we move to a more restrictive setting of a special day classroom, Those two classes are still on a comprehensive campus, right? There are still children with special needs and without special needs on campus. So even if you go from a gen ed setting to a special day setting, you can still have lunch, PE, assemblies, breaks with general education population for socialization, right, of gen ed peers. When you go to a more restrictive environment of a non-public school, this is typically a school just with children with special needs, and there are no general education peers. So that socialization component is what, that lack of it is what makes that a restrictive setting, right? Because it is just a school for children with other special needs. Now, private schools can be different. There are kind of what we would call like a couple of different tiers of private schools. There is your typical private school that is that most of the time is a parochial school so a religious school Mm -hmm. um that is a general population sometimes they have special education resources sometimes they Mm -hmm. don't but Mm -hmm. then there are other classifications of private schools that are especially designed to be for a special targeted population so say for example kids with dyslexia um there's also ones that are for children who are are more severe and they just choose not to go to the designation of a non-public school. Right. Um, so private school doesn't always mean more restrictive than a typical general education public school, but sometimes it does. It, it really just depends on what your like what the school is looking like. So we definitely have students who try to go to these private schools for a number of reasons. Sometimes they go because it's a specialized school. So we have a number of schools in Southern California that are specifically designed for kids with dyslexia. And so they choose to go to that school because they're getting that specific intervention that you wouldn't get necessarily at a public school because they're just not. There's the other, the set of families who choose to go private school because maybe the public school is offering a special day class and they feel that that is too restrictive. And so they're choosing to go to a private school. Maybe it's a religious school, maybe it's not, so that their kid can be in general education. 
most of the time when we see this, this is a younger kiddo. So preschool, kindergarten age, where they're just starting with their IEPs. And, you know, the school district has said, we feel a special day class is required. The school has never seen this child in the school environment. So we really don't know. The parents decide, let's go to a private school so we can be in general education. And I think, you know, where the listener was coming from in, in, in the question of, you know, how do you get the school districts to pay for private placement? When we're looking at a non-public school that is on the spectrum and that can be an IEP, it can be as easy as an IEP team decision. Maybe the, and probably in the last 15 years, the trend has been, this kid has behaviors, we can't have them here, we don't have enough, we're going to send them to a non-public school. But there are a plethora of other reasons that a non-public school would be needed. Like Amanda said, maybe the child's dyslexia, ADHD, or whatever other health impairment is really just impacting their access to the curriculum, and they need a specialized type of additional programming and curriculum that so that they can make progress, right? So the the quick and dirty way of doing it, it's not even really dirty, it's probably the cleanest way to do it is to have the IEP team agree that this child needs a more restrictive environment. When that happens, the district will designate that the child needs a more restrictive environment. And, you know, some districts do it in different ways, right? You know, maybe they'll send you a list of uh, non-public schools that they believe the child would, because it is a non-public school, it is a private school, right? So the child needs to apply and they need to be accepted, right? Because sometimes it may not be a good fit for whatever reason. So they won't necessarily at the end of that IEP meeting say, okay, and then they're going to go to this school because we don't know if they can go to that school. So it does set up a bit of a process. So it's it's not going to just happen overnight. If this is the first time that you're talking about the child attending a non-public school, we are going to use the rest of this conversation to talk about a parent either unilaterally placing the child or getting the private school as like compensatory education because that's probably the number one reason that people call us yeah. is to get that. And we just want to note, just keep in mind, the IDEA and Section 504 applies to public schools and not private schools. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are enrolled in a non-public school, that can be included on your IEP because it is certified by that state mm-hmm. department of ed. And so the school districts can input a non-public school into the IEP, but a private school can't. And majority of private schools are religious schools, so the school districts cannot contract directly with because separation of church and state, which we think that's why we held off. We held off on this conversation because of a right before the end of the last term, right, with the Supreme Court back in May, they had a ridiculous ruling. So there's we're keeping an eye on that. But for now, yes. Yeah. For now, there's separation of church and state, so school districts' public funding cannot go to parochial schools, religious schools. So But that doesn't mean that you are prohibited from going to a religious school as a private school and seeking reimbursement. It just means that the district isn't going to directly pay. So it would be can't. That can't be your number one reason to go is strictly for religious reasons. Yeah. So under the law, there are two kind of main things that you have to prove in order to get the school district to pay for a private school. The first is that there was a violation. That that what the school district is offering or has been offering was not or is not appropriate for your child. Whether there has been regression, lack of progress, whether there has been more extreme cases over the course of the last 
two years or even one year, or what is being proposed for the upcoming school year. So in the case of our young kiddos just entering the school district, that what is being proposed is not appropriate. So your higher functioning kiddos that are being proposed to go into special day class, that's not the least restrictive environment. Those are all violation examples of violations that could be occurring. But the second part is that the school you're choosing, that private school or that non-public school, needs to be appropriate. And when we say appropriate, the law is looking at, for the most part, what services are being offered. So making sure it's not too restrictive, making sure that they're able to offer the appropriate services. So if your child needs speech and OT and an aid and all these supports in the general education class, that, that's kind of your assumption. And you go to a private school that doesn't offer any of that that may not be the right fit, right? So most of the time we say, you're going to place your child, make sure that it's a good fit, do your research. A lot of these private schools will do test runs to see if it's a good fit, but you also need to make sure that that program is appropriate. And what Amanda is talking about is when the parent unilaterally places and is seeking reimbursement. And so, yes, it's that two-pronged test. The district had to fail in providing a free and appropriate public education. And through the court cases, it's actually been determined that the second part is that the child is you know, in that new placement or that. So it's either placement, um, reimbursement for placement or actual services, right? Um, That the child's needs were met and that they were provided with an educational benefit. That we do not have to prove that it was FAPE in the private school. And educational benefit is a little different, right? Because almost instantly when some of these kiddos go from the public school to private school, maybe they were having a hard time going to school, right? The social emotional stress and their levels were just off. When we go to a smaller classroom, a different setting, this private school that's, you know, open arms, accepting this child and there's other kids like this child, almost instantly that child is now going to school every day. So that in and of itself is an educational benefit because now the child is able to have their stress levels be normalized so that they can actually understand the material that's being presented to them. You know, we almost always see that, you know, sometimes, you know, when the child is doing well academically, but this is all to say that, you know, an IEP is to provide those three prongs that we always talk about, right? It's it's not just academics, it's social, emotional, and vocational. It's nice to fit it in to those. You don't have to, as long as there's an educational benefit, it really could be a, a lot. But with those, if you pass, you know, kind of the that test, then the parent would be entitled to reimbursement of the cost of placing in private school. Um, and that's one way. And then another way, which we kind of still use that test in a sense, but when we, the child is not in a private school yet, and we are coming to the district and saying, the last two years, you have been in the, here are all the violations. As a form of compensatory education, we would like you to contract directly with this private school. And we would like to, so you're almost kind of like forcing their hand, right? It's in a form of compensatory education. They can say, oh, we don't think it's appropriate. We would have never done this in an IEP. Cool. That's why we're doing it in a settlement agreement, right? (laughs) And that's the key is that unfortunately, even though the law says that you are entitled to reimbursement if you privately place and there's been violations and you've met those two prong tests, 
it's not something that happens automatic. It's not something that your IEP team is going to agree to. It is something that unfortunately requires enforcement through due process in order to get. So I know that there's often a lot of parents that hear what the law is or they read what the law is and they say, well, this is what the law is, so it needs to happen. Unfortunately, the way that that Congress laid out enforcement of the IDEA is that it has to be enforced through the courts. It's not automatic. It's not like someone's breaking into your home and you call the police and they come and they handle it, right? It is very different. So in those parameters, you do have to file for due process and you do have to seek a settlement agreement with the school district. So keeping in mind that you are going to be negotiating with the school district. Mm -hmm. It's not automatic that just because they engage in the settlement that you're going to get a hundred percent of reimbursement. Mm -hmm. So we tell parents all the time, if you're going to place your child and try to seek reimbursement, keep in mind that you may not get a hundred percent. And the reason we say this is because there's all different spectrums of private schools. You know, there are some that cost $10,000 a year. There are some that cost $60,000 a year. If you have options, and there are different options and levels that you that may be appropriate for your child. And you go and choose the most expensive one because you think, well, that's the best. Mm-hmm. If you were to go to court, even if a judge were to say, look, you've met the two tiers, right? This program is appropriate and the district violation, violated the law. Doesn't mean they're going to award you 100% of your fees and everything that you've paid for that private school. Because if the district can show that there were alternatives that were appropriate, you know, because like everything in special ed, you're not entitled to the best. You're entitled to what's appropriate. So we always tell parents to keep that in mind that you certainly can go if that best of the best cream of the crop school is what you want, you can go for that. There's no nothing wrong with that. But know that they may limit your reimbursement to what they consider to be appropriate. So if it's 60000 they may only give you 30 or 40 yeah. or 50. So it just yeah, depends absolutely. on the strength of your case. That and the judge, I mean, really going to hearing is a crapshoot. Have we, you know, seen the cases come out where the parent gets 100% and maybe more because they had outside services they had Absolutely. You know, but what were the violations? Have we seen hearings where it was like, how did the judge not say that they needed all of the reimbursement? Like, you know, and and they lost. Absolutely. I think Amanda's just trying to paint a picture of, you know, what negotiations are to a certain extent. Right. And that's why you come to say whatever they want to say at a hearing. And they may say that your chosen school was very expensive and there was an alternative that was two hours away. And you may think an alternative that's two hours away, that doesn't make sense. That's not appropriate for my child, but a judge may think that's okay. So you always keep in mind all these external factors when going into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I guess we should have done it at the top. You know, we're not your attorneys. We are attorneys, um, but we're just not yours. Uh, You know, there are a lot of intricacies. We're not having this conversation to to give you this plan of this is how you do it. This is a very generalized way because the analysis for an individual that comes in through our office is very different. (laughs) You know, you want to start with what's been happening, you know, what's going on, you know, why is there even the possibility of these private schools? It's because some of these kiddos may need a more specialized type of programming that, you know, the teacher, you know, because we get this all the time and I'm seeing this a lot with, with new clients is that they want it their way. And unfortunately, you know, 
controlling how the teacher teaches and the curriculum and the programming is not something that an IEP can easily change. I'm not saying that it can't. Like, you know, we've had a couple of good cases come down where the attorney for the student was able to prove that this specific type, I think it was actually dyslexia program, they had like so many experts that were saying like, this child needed this program for X, Y, and Z reasons. And then the district's defense was, but we have this one. And it was like, that's not tailored to me for the needs of this particular child. And the student has proven that their disabilities are so unique or whatever, right? And so that's something that we want you guys to to keep in mind, especially with this next piece of the puzzle. If a parent were to unilaterally place or provide private services, we have uh, typically sent what's called a 10-day letter. And that is to let the district know of your decision of wanting to, for instance, unilaterally place the child into a private school. So you're telling them, I am disenrolling my child 10 business days from the date of this letter because, you know, we're going to go to a private school because we believe you've not given us faith, you know, whatever. But in that same breath, you want to say, I am still interested in whatever services the district was willing to provide because we want to make sure the district is still involved. And it, it's a requirement that the district be put on notice, yeah. on notice that you're intending to place your child and notice that you're intending to seek reimbursement. And the reason for that is that if you are trying to seek reimbursement for it, the school district has to have an opportunity to, like the law requires this, right? They have an opportunity to make changes to the IEP. So if you're saying, look, I don't like this IEP. I think it's not appropriate. So therefore I'm going to place, they have to have the opportunity to come back and say, Mm -hmm. you know, okay, fine. We'll make changes, you know, now whether or not they do that, most of the time they Mm -hmm. don't, but it's the legal requirement that you have to give them that opportunity to do so. So just to recap a little bit, when we are talking about what a private school is within the context of an IEP, we are talking about non-public schools is because they were receiving federal funding. So that means that a school district can use their funds to privately place a child should the child require that. There are ways that a parent can get to a non-public school if the IEP team is just not in agreement to that. One way would be for the parent to unilaterally place and seek reimbursement. Um, The other would be trying to get the non-public school as a form of compensatory education after a filing. You know, and I'm sure there's a hundred other ways as well. Um, But these were the main kind of ways that we wanted to talk to you. And we hopefully answered that listener's question and you know, keep those questions coming. We we made it a point to say that a listener actually um, uh, sent that. Uh, a lot of times when we have our solo, we're, we're seeing the chatter in our Facebook group, or we do get direct messages, but I think it might be fun to start saying, um, hey, this is from a listener, um, or this came yeah. from Instagram. So please, yeah, so please continue us. to give us those questions and Yeah, and hopefully this solo episode went down smoothly and you guys are hanging in there ready for the next couple of weeks before we get to Halloween and the holiday and the official holiday season. It's going to be nuts, I'm sure, (laughs) for all of us. So hang in there and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.